Week five is here, and week five is one of the most important weeks in the college fantasy football season. I'm going to share why shortly. My name is Joe DeSalvo, the voice of the CFF site. And we're going to get into why I feel week five is a pivotal time, pivotal week in the college fantasy football season, whether you play head-to-head or cumulative points total format. But on this week's show, we're going to do it very similar to last week. We're going to go through the conferences, and I'm just going to highlight some of the areas, some of the games, some of the players that are really jumping out to me. I think for the most part, what we see is what we're going to get. But there are still a bunch of question marks that I think are a bunch of questions that still have yet to be answered. And that's where I'm going to focus much of my attention on this week because, and and here's why I feel that week five is one of the most important weeks of the season because we're now transitioning out of the non-conference portion of the of the 2022 college football schedule. You know, we mentioned in the preseason and over the last few weeks, teams like Kent State were sort of yield signs, stop signs in regards to to playing some of their players. I I know they they surprised down at Georgia last week, but you know we knew three of those first four games of the year were going to be tough. And now they're moving into Mac play and you're probably going to see an offensive explosion. So if you've been able to survive the first four weeks, you know, with a player like Colin Schley at quarterback, then, then I think you're in for some greener pastures, but the non-conference schedule for most, even for power five teams really leaves us with some questions going into the conference schedule just sort of based on their strength of schedule so far. So we're going to get into that this week. And like I said, going to go conference by conference. But first, something I didn't do last week and I do want to get into this week is the 4-in-1 Super Fantasy League. I got a little bit behind last week with, with updating the brackets. I didn't have everything in time for the show. There were some glitches going on within the Fantrax system that I needed to kind of wrinkle out some of the um, uh, iron out some of the wrinkles with that, but let's just kind of take a look at what's going on. I have not updated the head to head tournament yet, which started last week, which included the top 80 teams through the first three weeks of the schedule. So that bracket has yet to be updated, but the two big ones right now, uh, the total points league, let's just kind of, you know, give some fist pumps and pat some asses right now uh, at the beginning of the show. Total points league after four weeks of the season. Here's your top five. Green Giants, followed by Uncle Buck, Left Coast, B. Bailster. Um, I don't know how to say it. It's unfortunate part of having a name that I don't know how to pronounce on here is I'm trying to give you guys some shout outs and I don't know how to say it. And then Sooner Cub. 21. So that's your top five in the total points league. In the two halves tournament, we're down to four teams. We've got matchups this week, and then the winners of this week's matchup will play and basically have a bye all the way until week 17, where they will play the second half tournament winner to determine the champion in that league. And yes, the winner of the first half tournament will find themselves in the second half tournament as well. So if you happen to win both tournaments, you you win the entire first and second place. But let's look at the semifinals in the first half tournament bracket. Andrew P. Katz, friend of the site, plays Donkeys this week in the first semifinal. And Rosie Bugsy takes on Cryptomaniac Z in the second semifinal match. So here's the great thing about the four and one super fantasy league. I put pros and cons. I'll throw it out to you guys right away. I warned you all in the preseason. I warned you in the show, uh, sort of what the thing to look out for. The biggest thing that you were going to have to be aware of is leaving guys in your lineup for multiple weeks, starting guys on a Saturday. And then the Thursday, Friday games come and you leave those guys in your lineup, not take them out. It's probably happened 12 to 10, 10 to 12 times so far this year. Fortunately, a lot of you guys have gotten in touch with me. I was able to wipe the slate clean, but you still have you still going to take a zero if you left the player in in a spot where you didn't take them out. So I had to sub those guys in. So it is the hardest rule. It is the hardest thing in this league is staying on top of your lineup and taking guys out in time so you don't get caught 
doubling up a player because remember you can only start him one time in one week in any one week for the rest of the year but here's the greatest thing about the four and one league even though that is the most challenging is that we're looking at the semifinals of the first half tournament and the top five in the total points in other words the guys that have accumulated the most points through five weeks four weeks and the top five in the total points league are completely different names from the four teams that are still remaining in the first half tournament. And that's the beauty of these four different formats is there's, um, you know, they're known for, you know, getting results of spitting, you know, different teams winning different name. Uh, there's, there's of the top, you know, those are nine different owners that I just named that are in the semifinals, the top five in the total points league. So congrats to everyone. Long way to go. Cause even if you're within the top 50 right now you've still got a shot at the total points and you're still alive in all the tournaments you still got we've got the eliminator coming up so there's a lot of things coming up in the next few weeks in the four and one super fantasy league so stay up on that even if you feel you've fallen behind still a ways to go so let's get into week five and and so I mentioned this was a really pivotal week for me and in regards to college fantasy football. And you're going to see that with some of the teams, some of the players that I'm going to discuss this week because sometimes the Power 5 teams, their non-conference schedules are so easy. Sometimes it's a mirage. We think we've got a you know the golden ticket and then things fizzle out. A lot of things, you know, then we, you know, look at players in Power 5. They go through the tougher non-conference schedule and then they get into you know the the conference schedule and and things start taking off for them. So we're going to discuss a little bit of that this week because there are still a number of teams slash players that that I'm still up in the air on. Um, you got got some nuggets. Even looked into some target data going into this week's show. So that's going to sort of be the topic, the basis. The jumping off point for the show, we're going to start in the AAC. I mean, I'm sorry, in the ACC, we're going to go power five only. So if you, you know, if you're a power five only guy, you're, you know, you're going to want to, you know, tune into the first half. And if you're full FBS, then, then go ahead and, and take it all in. I'm going to go through all of the conferences. My partner, Mike Bainbridge, is, is you know busy right now trying to get those Saturday and Saturday night slates written up for you guys. And so the projections, the week five player projections, the top 20, the Friday night slate write up will all be on the site by the time this uploads Thursday evening. And, and maybe we get the Saturday slate as well by uh, to you guys by Friday morning. So let's start in the ACC and where I really want to just sort of where I just want to begin is just with Louisville. Uh, and I, I start there because uh, Malik Cunningham with a slow start to the year, but he's come alive three straight 100 yard rushing games. Uh, he's gone for five rushing TDs in the last two games. And so now we're getting some life from Malik Cunningham. Now, remember that was my preseason top quarterback going into the year. He's getting some things going and so it's nice to see that kind of paying out, um, you know, playing out as as at least I was hoping to. And so let's see if he can make a run for another 20 rushing touchdowns this year. See if he can get close to that number. And if so, you know, you guys are golden that have him on your fantasy team. Sticking in the ACC, I do want to talk about Wake Forest and Florida State just real quick. Uh, Hartman, great start after, you know, missing the first, you know, just – bit of the season at least three touchdowns passing in the three games he's played he's looked really good the yards have been there I know there's been some disappointment with A.T. Perry for some of you guys but I think that's going to be expected right now there are so many weapons Wake Forest is, are that are that they're utilizing right now the surprise has been Jamal Banks who has thrown up back-to-back -back games with two touchdown performances but I watched some of that Wake Forest game last week I mean Hartman missed Perry on a big throw down the sidelines. I mean, I feel like if one of those just connects, we're about to see an explosion game out of A.T. Perry. So I do think it's coming. You've got to be patient. But Wake's got a lot of weapons, but they're going to throw the ball around. So I think you've got to be – you're still okay with A.T. Perry. The only difference with Hartman right now this year compared to last year, and we'll see if he can make it up in the passing numbers, 
And I don't know if his, you know, preseason, late preseason condition has anything to do with it. But last year he did rush for 11 touchdowns in three games so far. We've played what four weeks. He's yet to find the end zone on the ground. That's the biggest difference between his numbers. I think this year compared to last year. And while I'm on that topic with quarterback running, you know, Wake Forest plays Florida State this week, and I was high on Jordan Travis in the beginning of the season. He got that injury last week, um, I mean, two weeks ago, so he came out of the game early. Wound up playing last week, and I didn't really, you know, I wasn't going to expect much with, you know, his legs. And, of course, you know, he didn't, He I think he had one rush attempt, and that's it. And so I think with Jordan Travis, for as much as I liked him in the preseason, him being banged up right now, I think really limits him, and I don't know how much rushing, you know, how many running attempts we're going to get out of Jordan Travis. I think you're going to see them, you know, he's going to be more of the game manager, passer. You know, he'll move when he has to move, maybe kind of slide in the pocket, try to find some time for his receivers downfield, and they're going to lean on that running game. And let's see if the defense can kind of keep Wake Forest. Uh, you know, let's see if they can kind of limit Wake Forest opportunities, but that's one matchup in the ACC I'm really looking forward to, but limited potential. I know I have Jordan Travis in a couple of leagues that are non-best ball, and I just don't know if I'm going to start him this week, even though I like the potential because of what what drew me, you, you know, the appeal to, to Jordan Travis was his dual threat ability at, ability at the beginning of the year. And I just, if that's limited right now, I'm a little concerned about his ceiling when it comes to his fantasy potential this week, at least. North Carolina, I think the one thing to point out, getting Antoine Green uh, just gives them another passing weapon. I think makes Drake May just that much more dangerous. Remember, they got Josh Downs back as well. So, uh, you know, if you've got May right now, you've got to feel really good now going forward, particularly with a big play threat like Green in there. So that just makes the North Carolina offense that much better. And then the last team I want to talk about, in the ACC is just Syracuse right now. A lot of questions coming in. Do we start Syracuse players first Wagner? And I do think you have to start, you know, Garrett Schrader, uh, Sean Tucker in this matchup. Not a ton of depth over at Syracuse, or at least from what we've seen at quarterback and running back right now. And you have to remember this too. Just a couple of weeks ago, they played Connecticut and Connecticut's not that good either. And Schrader combined for five touchdowns. Tucker ran for 112 in a touchdown. And so, you know, this is where philosophies come in. If you're not, if you do not get an FCS penalty, which there are some leagues that play a 25% penalty against FCS competition, I get that. But if not, I almost rather the easy matchups, give me Tucker in 120 in a touchdown or two touchdowns in one half of action than having to sweat out a matchup maybe against Clemson later on in the year. So, I'm a fan of playing your guys in those weak in those weak matchups, particularly when there's not a lot of depth. You know, it's not like Alabama is going to be. You know, it's not like Alabama's playing Wagner here, where they could run out six different running backs. Um, less depth at Syracuse. I think you're going to see those guys play, and I think they get their numbers in before they get out the game. Let's switch gears over to the Big Twelve. And I'm going to start with Kansas State. If you get the notes and observations, just one thing that really stuck out to me, running back Deuce Vaughn last week did not score a touchdown. It was the first time, I think, in 17 or 18 games that he's been at Kansas State in a Kansas State uniform in which the Wildcats scored at least 30 points, and he did not score one of the touchdowns. So last time, that was the first time that that happened. Uh, look, Vegas says that Kansas State's good for 30-plus this week, so Vaughn should get right back on it. We're expecting a big week from him. Let's go over to Kansas, because this is one I want to spend some time on because Jalen Daniels has been absolutely incredible through the first, uh, you know, the first few games of the year. He's thrown at least three TD passes in the last three games. They've got wins over Duke, road wins over West Virginia and Houston. He's rushed for at least 80 yards in each of the last three. But yet I'm still not sold. And I may be, I may be in the minority on this one, but I do think uh, it does help that they're home against Iowa State. But here's, you know, that win against West Virginia was nice. West Virginia hasn't proven to be, to be much. You know, they got the win over Duke. 
I thought they caught Houston at a really good time. I like Kansas in that spot. Houston coming off of that really big loss in overtime against Texas Tech when I was saying that that was the win that that Houston needed to make a deep run. I think if Houston wins that game, they go into that Kansas game with a different mentality. But Jalen, you can't argue with Jalen Daniels' numbers up until this point, but I'm still not sold. I have to see it now. And I think this Iowa State matchup will really give us a better idea, a better idea of what to expect from Jalen Daniels from a fantasy fantasy perspective. They get Iowa State this week. They get TCU the following week, still a nice matchup. And then they go to Oklahoma. They go to Baylor. They get Oklahoma State at home. So that three-game run, I think how he does against this in this matchup against Iowa State really will dictate, I think, the his you know predicted um fantasy value going into those future games so that's one that I'm really kind of keeping my eyes on this week but I'm not sold yet on Daniels let's see him do it against Iowa State and perhaps I'll be on that train and then over at Iowa State the one thing that just really sticks out to me Xavier Hutchinson 52 targets through four games so far he's getting 13 targets a game the next play closest player on the team Jalen Noel with 25 so Hutchinson getting twice as many targets as the next closest player on the team. And that's why he's up there high in the rankings this week. I mentioned Jalen Daniels. Well, let's go with a little bit of a proven name too. And Spencer Sanders, a guy that I even have in some leagues, right? 13 touchdowns through the first three games of the year. But let's look at the schedule again. I'm going to reference that. Central Michigan, Arizona State, Arkansas Pine Bluff. They get Baylor this week on the road I think we learn more about whether or not Spencer Sanders has made that next step in this matchup at Baylor and I think you know again three games great not tough matchups let's see if he can put it together in this matchup on the road at Baylor and much like I said with Kansas when you look at Oklahoma State They get this matchup at Baylor after this. They still get Texas Tech. They still get TCU. Texas doesn't look like a tough matchup. They go to Kansas State, to Kansas. They end the year with Iowa State, Oklahoma, West Virginia. The Big 12 is not that tough, but there are going to be some hiccups on the schedule. But I think this is a matchup. Man, if Spencer Sanders really does well on the road at Baylor, I don't think, I don't know how you sit him at all the rest of the year. So really big, pivotal week five matchup for Oklahoma State and Spencer Sanders going up against Baylor. And then, you know, with Texas, just a thing of note, Quinn Ewers was getting first-team snaps this week. I know they lost last week at Texas Tech. I think there might be a little bit more incentive to get Ewers in the game and play him and start him, particularly if he's if he can go, right? I mean, Texas, you know, look to, look to change the momentum up a little bit. So that's why Ewers is projected uh, in the player projections for us so far on the site. We'll make adjustments as long as we get news within the next 24, 36 hours. The only time it's really difficult to make the adjustments in the projections is when we get news right before kickoff or a couple of hours before kickoff. We try to to make the projections with what we have when we have it uh, at that time of the week, and we'll try to make some adjustments along the way. But I also wanted to mention Xavier Worthy as well. Xavier Worthy grabbed his first touchdown catch last week and a lot of people on the fence with Xavier Worthy getting Quinn Ewers back I'm sure will probably help I know Worthy went in highly ranked this year so there is a big difference between expectations this year compared to last year but one thing of note I just want to mention about Xavier Worthy last year right it wasn't until the week four matchup last week where Xavier Worthy really took off like week three last year I think he had 70 yards and a touchdown week four coincidentally was against Texas Tech he went for three touchdowns I think he had a hundred yard game against Texas Tech and that's when Xavier Worthy's 2021 season really took off (laughs) excuse me however the one thing to keep in mind this was something that I that I noticed that really stood out to me For as good as Xavier Worthy was last year, there were some inconsistencies in his production. And that's typically what we're getting from most wide receivers. That's what makes guys like Charlie Jones for Purdue, Xavier Hutchinson over at Iowa State so valuable that's getting 13 targets a game. 
Last year, Xavier Worthy, for as good of a year that he had, he still had three games after he caught those three touchdown passes in in week um, in week four. He still had three games in which he finished with 30 or fewer receiving yards last year. Again, we were thinking his floor was going to be much higher this year and those inconsistencies would go away, but perhaps maybe the shakeup at quarterback is leading to that. Let's see if they get Ewers back, if his numbers start to get a little bit more steady moving forward. So that's going to wrap up the Big 12, and what I want to do is shift gears, go out to the West Coast. We're going to go into the Pac-12, and the first team I want to just talk about is UCLA. Uh, because I think this is a pivotal matchup for UCLA, you know, playing Washington this week, because there's a lot of Zach Charbonnet owners out there wondering, you know, is he going to be the exclusive ball carrier in that Chip Kelly offense last week against Colorado? I think he had three touchdowns, right? He had three touchdowns on nine carries, 100 yards. In my opinion, this is the week. Whether or not Charbonnet was fully healthy over the last couple of matchups, I think this is the matchup right here. Week five under the microscope, Washington coming in um, undefeated. And so I believe that Charbonnet, this is the game that sets up for Charbonnet, or at least for, for us to learn whether or not Charbonnet is going to be that 20 carry guy in this Chip Kelly offense. Perhaps this is the game that springs that springboards him forward. If not, then I think by week five, what you see is what you get. And I think we're going to get a mixture of Charbonnet and Jones the rest of the way. But I can see this. I, if I had Charbonnet right now, I'd probably be getting in my lineup coming off of a three touchdown performance and knowing the potential in that Kel Chip Kelly offense if he gets 20 plus carries this week. Another question at, uh, at running back, you know, Utah. Last week we learned that Tavion Thomas. First half suspended. We projected a big week for him last week, and he gets suspended for the first half. I know a lot of you guys out there are a little nervous about not knowing what to expect from Tavion Thomas. I get it. I'd be the same way if I had Thomas on my roster, but the potential in that offense is too great, and I think you got to roll the dice with Thomas, and you've got to get him in your lineup. Another running back I want to touch on in the, the, the Pac-12, Cal running back Jaden Ott coming off that 19-carry 274 yard, three touchdown performance last week. Saw some of you guys in the Discord kind of going back and forth on whether or not Otza, you know, you know, do we get him in the lineup this week? They fed him the rock last week. I'm still a little nervous about him right now. I still want to see a little bit more consistency. It's nice to see that ceiling, you know, that 19, 270, and three ceiling. But he's going against a decent Washington State defense this year that I thought, you know, honestly, they probably should have beaten Oregon. They they beat Wisconsin on the road. And I you you can't convince me that Cal's running backs and running games better than Wisconsin. So Washington State's only allowing 112 yards per game on the ground. I'm a little nervous starting Jaden Ott this week. If your options are limited, I get it. We know what his potential is, but that one makes me a little bit nervous. And then over at USC, you know, look, you know, we we call it like we see it. You know, we hit some, we miss some. Travis Dye wasn't highly ranked in our preseason fantasy draft guide because the one thing that we were really fearful about was just rotation in that in in that USC backfield. You had Austin Jones coming in from Stanford. You had Darwin Barlow that was still there. You had the the young kid coming in, Relique Brown that was coming in, and and he got some touches and I think scored the first week of the season. And then on top of that, you had quarterback Caleb Williams who is mobile in himself, right? But here's the thing. The rotation hasn't really been there that we thought was going to be there. Die has been really good over the first four games of the season. And really, other than the 68-yard rushing performance, I think that might have been in week one for Caleb Williams, he's gone 4-1-27 in, in his other three matchups. So the rushing, and he's got two rushing touchdowns, and I believe those were in one game. So we're not seeing Caleb Williams give us consistent production on the ground with his legs. Maybe you don't like that if you're a Caleb Williams owner because you want to see a little bit more of that. But if you're a Travis Dye owner, you're certainly welcoming that right now. And so Dye right now has been really good up until this point. Like I said, I mean, in that offense, you got to worry about a little rotation. 
you know, is, is he the the 25 carry 300 yard, three touchdown player? No, but if you can get, get a consistent hundred yards and a touchdown, maybe two from him, that's really good. And a lot more than I thought it was going to be with rotation in the backfield, which quite honestly, you know, die looks like he's been, you know, running back one there with, with, I don't think there's any fear of much rotation right now. So keep your fingers crossed. And hopefully I didn't jinx you guys that have die, but I did want to touch on him. Just, you know, the, the, the way that we undervalued him a little bit in the preseason from what we thought we were going to get to what has actually happened. Right. Then let's go over to the sec. Most notably Kentucky gets running back. Chris Rodriguez back. Let's see if that improves the running game. Let's see if that does in fact, maybe affect a little bit of the passing game moving forward. Big note at Ole Miss is we're still keeping an eye on whether or not, you know, Ulysses Bentley and Zach Evans are going to be a go in that matchup. If not, we, we, we've we sort of made the adjustment in the projections because we had Quinshaw Judkins projected as running back one against Kentucky, but we still have Evans in there. Um, if Evans is a wash and, and he gets and he's out of that game, Quinshaw Judkins is an absolute must start, in my opinion. Back-to-back two-touchdown games, 98-plus yards in three consecutive games. And if he's going to get another 25-plus carries in that offense this week, you've got to get him in your lineup. Let's talk about another running back. It almost feels like we're running back heavy, but, you know, Texas A&M, running back Devin Ashane, a lot of concern for him after the first couple of weeks of the season because of how poor Texas A&M looked on offense. But he has scored a touchdown in three or four games uh, so far this year. He's caught three passes in each of the last two games, and he's getting the touches. And if A&M is going to score, he's looking like the guy that's going to put it in the end zone. The only difference between A&M now and where A&M was maybe a year ago or the past couple of years is that they're just not, they don't have that scoring explosion. You're not going to get 30 plus points from that Aggie offense. And so, you know, what you're hoping for every week with a Shane is just a bunch of touches, total over a hundred plus yards from scrimmage and that he's the guy that finds the end zone. And if you can consistently get that, that's not bad for your running back two or flex options. And the last of the power five conferences, let's go over to the big 10. First of all, mentioned just Michigan, right? Most notably there, Donovan Edwards probably returns. Um, you know, I, I know you guys that have Blake Corum would, would, you know, we're wishing that he would probably stay out another game. That would mean another heavy dose of Blake Corum. I still think we're going to see. I wouldn't be surprised to see Corum get over 20 carries in this game. Remember, they're playing Iowa. The only reason why I think Edwards' return in this game hurts Corum a little bit is because it's Iowa, right? It's not like they're playing Maryland and Corum's going to explode for 200 yards and three touchdowns. At least I don't think he will. Where I think in this matchup, you're looking for Corm to go over 100 yards, touchdown, and then maybe a second touchdown would be icing on top of the cake. But the presence of Edwards may may just, in fact, dip into Corm's numbers a little bit against a solid defense. Purdue, big question going around Aiden O'Connell and his availability, but regardless, Charlie Jones must play in that lineup every week right now. Over at Ohio State, I, I I say this every year in the preseason. Mike and I kind of say it in tongue-in-cheek. We don't w- like wishing injury on any player. But if there's one thing that kind of makes our decisions a lot easier when it comes to fantasy rosters, it's when guys transfer out of the program, you know, when there's a logjam of potential, or when guys get hurt. And that seems to be happening right now at Ohio State because – I don't know if there's any clarity on when we're going to get a Jackson Smith and Jigba back or when he will be back to full health. So all of you guys that are sitting out there on Emeka Ekbuka, Marvin Harrison, and right now even Julian Fleming, it's making life a heck of a lot easier for you guys on Saturday mornings to set that lineup when we know that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be out because the last couple of weeks, you know, there's been some hesitation of do we play him? How healthy is he? Is he on a snap count? And so now I think we have a little clarity. I don't think we're going to get him back unless he's fully healthy. And it makes it a heck of a lot easier for you guys with Agbuka, Harrison, and maybe even Fleming right now to get them into your starting lineup. Over at Northwestern, I want to look at another running back, Evan Hull, because I made a comment a couple of weeks ago how 
you know, Northwestern was, you know, they just weren't very good. It might be good to leverage him in some sort of a trade moving forward. But the one thing that's interesting with Evan Hall, when I pulled the numbers out on him, is that the one thing that makes him valuable right now for you guys that want to hold on to him, particularly for you guys that play in a PPR league, he's got 29 receptions right now on 32 targets, right? His 32 targets are are slightly, you know, that's second on the team. So he's targeted the second most times on offense. And of the 32 targets, he's got 29 catches, right? And he's averaging 10 yards a catch. I can make a case to hold on to a player like that, even though he's on a bad team, if he's going to get that kind of utilization and turn out those type of numbers and that average on those touches. So when you look at his 32 targets, even if it's over four games, that's eight a game, and he's catching at least seven passes. I mean, that's not bad value right there for Evan Hall, even though I made a suggestion to sort of jump ship and leverage him in trade offers, which I still think is a, is a pretty smart move. But I also can make a case on keeping him based on your league format. And then another player, Indiana receiver Cam Camper, and this is why I want to focus on him. He's got 33 catches so far this year on 62 targets. So he's only catching roughly 50% of the passes that are headed his way. He's averaging 15 targets a game. That's that's two that's two targets more than than Iowa State receiver Xavier Hutchinson. But he's only got 33 receptions on those 62 targets. The potential is there for a big game, but right now that Indiana offense, and, and and I think whether it speaks to the system or to maybe Connor Bazelak at quarterback, maybe it's a little bit of both. But 33, 33 catches on 62 targets just kind of speaks to the potential of Camper in that offense. So that's going to wrap it up for the Power 5 conferences. We're going to shift gears and go into the group of five for you guys that play full FBS, like I said. Projections are uploaded on the site. Some of you guys coming in that that got the projections and still want to get Mike's DFS write-ups. I mean, if you're jumping into DFS, remember, whether you're playing on FanDuel, DraftKings, or doing prop bets over at places like uh, Prize Picks, it's never too late in the season to get into that. Get in, get the projections from, get our weekly projections, you know, build some lineups, some rosters. And so, you know, for some of you guys that are feeling a little down because you've had a bad start in some of your redraft leagues, seasonal leagues, keep, you know, seasonal leagues, keeper leagues, whatever you play in, it's never too late to get into daily fantasy, uh, daily fantasy football. And we've got the projections for you every week. And Mike's write-ups are just always on point, always helping you guys out. And then you got a chance to get into discord as well. You know, it's never too late to get into discord, to get those late breaking injury tidbits. You know, we don't have time to always send things out on the site or update the projections early in the morning or in Saturday morning, or even in the middle of the day when, you know, when you find out information before the game, you know, being in the discord is the best place to get connected because it's, it's the college fantasy football community. There guys finding tidbits from all over the country, Twitter, uh, throwing it in there. And so you get some breaking news on maybe an important player that you were looking to start this week. So never too late. Get in, get the projections, get the, Mike's DFS write-ups, and get that link to the Discord server. Come on in. It's never too late to get on in and become a member over at the CFF site. And so let's get into the power, the, the group of five conferences. And the first player I'm going to start out with is just start with team with, with Cincinnati, right? Wide receiver Tyler Scott, just kind of, you know, one of those players that have just kind of slid under the radar for me, at least over the last couple of weeks, 18 catches for over 300 yards and four touchdowns in the last, in the last two games, he's got a touchdown in three straight games. He's been targeted 38 times in four games. And so that's a, that's much different from what we're used to seeing, you know, the last few years with Desmond Ritter at quarterback, you know, Jerome Ford there at running back. We're seeing, you know, with Ben Bryan at quarterback, we're seeing a different system over at Cincinnati and a receiver like Tyler Scott has been a wonderful find for some of you guys this year. SMU receiver Rasheed Rice. The one thing I just want to mention with him while we're kind of, talking targets because it's hard to not mention some of those players, uh, you know, the top receivers in the country without mentioning 
mentioning the targets, but Rasheed Rice averaging 17 targets per game. He's got 58 targets in four games this year. The next closest player on their team, Kelvante Mucci Dixon with 18. So Rice has 40 more targets. Just goes to show you the value and why he's ranked so high. They are, they're going to look for Rice as much as possible. Jake Bailey, you know, his, his presence is starting to be felt in that, in that lineup. And so he had a big game. Bo Corrales came back. He was targeted five times in his first game back. And so we may see a little bit of that SMU game, passing game, be a little bit more well-rounded moving forward now that they've got some guys coming back. But Rasheed Rice averaging 17 targets per game. You expect maybe that comes down, but I don't know how far it comes down. Maybe just a little bit. So still big things ahead if you have wide receiver Rasheed Rice for SMU. And then I want to touch touch on Tulsa just because of the moment last week where Keelon Stokes was kind of, you know, looked like he took a, a you know, looked like, like like he got knocked out, right? And he couldn't find his feet. He wind up surprisingly coming back in the game. And so there's, you know, th- we didn't project Keelon Stokes this week. And I'm going to give you a little context on why, and we'll make adjustments if we have to. I know Tulsa kind of took it on the chin in social media last week with and some of the some of the news on Stokes being allowed to come back in that game when he couldn't find your feet for whatever reason Stokes was cleared but my concern is um is whether or not they were under the microscope so much that Stokes may not play this week um I I, I don't know I can't speak of anything that I know there's been you know, up until Wednesday night, I haven't seen any leaks on information, but typically whenever a guy gets, when, whenever I've seen a player get hit like that and respond like that, I've hardly ever seen them play the following week. So I I haven't received, we haven't received any information. This is where just seeing certain actions over the course of the year have led to trends that have allowed us to basically make a projection without Keelan Stokes in it, because I would be surprised if he actually did play. If we get news soon enough, we'll go ahead and put him in there. But that's why Stokes is not in the lineup. Now, here's one thing that I'll say in regards to head injuries or concussions. They're the worst for the players. I get it. But for us, for, for foot fantasy football, whether it's NFL or college, it's probably one of the better injuries that we can find out that a player has. And here's why. Because there's no limitations physically on a, on a body part other than, you know, obviously the most important one, the brain. But, but for, as far as physical limitations, players are either cleared or they're not from a concussion. And so if Stokes is cleared, and we'll know because you'll hear reports of him warming up, probably in pregame running around, then he's a full go. There's no sprained ankle. There's no dislocated elbow. There's no no limitations. If he's cleared from, if a player's cleared from a concussion, they are cleared and they are ready to rock and roll. And if not, you usually get word ahead of time and we know. So concussions aren't great, but in the world of, of fantasy football, Concussions provide some of the best clarity when it comes to knowing whether or not a player is going to start or whether to play him or not based on his injury. And so I just wanted to touch on that Keelan Stokes because, boy, he's getting 10 targets a game himself, right? So if he plays, you have to get him in the lineup. Let's go to Independence real quick. I'm going to try to get this show uploaded. I didn't do it last week before the Thursday games, but Miles Davis breakout for BYU, you would think that he's going to you know, could this be an encore performance? Has has have we seen the last of Christopher Brooks besides maybe in some short yardage situation? But I know some of you guys, I've seen it in the Discord, and I've seen some emails where you're you're depleted at running back. De- depth has been your depth has taken a hit. You've got bye weeks. You've got guys out with injuries, and I have seen some players, uh, seen some guys, some fantasy rosters where they're going to try to roll the dice with Miles Davis this week for BYU against Utah State. And then talk about rolling the dice, Liberty quarterback Caden Salter. He was one of the top-rated players going into our week four projections. But that injury knocked him out. He had an injury that kept him out, so he didn't play last week after being one of the highly projected players in, in on, on the site. 
And then we had, we, I, you know, just admittedly so, I bumped him down, you know, had to manually go into the projections and I bumped him down uh, earlier today, late last night, because I saw some video of him that was floating around of him running kind of like some read options in practice. I don't know why they put this stuff on social media, but he was practicing with a left knee brace. And I would only expect that that would be from the injury that he sustained. And it just didn't look, it looked like he was just moving around a little gingerly on it. I quite frankly, I'd be a little bit nervous to, to, to play him this week. I don't know if he's even definitely starting now. Uh, I would think that he tries to play, but if the video is, you know, is legit, which it looked like it was, um, you know, you go out there and see it for yourself. Um, you know, when he cuts off of the right knee, he looked great. But when he cuts off of his left knee, he looked like he was moving, um, you know, it, not as good. So I'm a little nervous for Caden Salter. If you have him, you may want to use your other options. So just a word of warning there. Over in Conference USA, Middle Tennessee running back Frank Pezzett has been just a pleasant surprise for a lot of you guys. And you know, here's one of the, the those games where Middle Tennessee loses 44 to six to James Madison in week one. Then they beat Colorado State, which wasn't very good. Pr frankly, dominated them early in the game. That was over early. Then they dominate Tennessee State. And this was like, well, you know what? It's preseason. They got dominated by James Madison. They won two games against teams that aren't very good. And then they go out and win 45-31 at Miami and just completely shocked everyone. You know, now we have to take, Frank Pezzett seriously, you know, serious, right? He's run for 75 yards and a touchdown, at least 75 yards and a touchdown in each of the last three games. And he's got six total TDs in the last three games. So he's a player right now that I think if you've got him, it's hard to sit, but you know, I'll be honest with you guys, when I was doing projections and this is where I kind of look over everything it was still hard to see where Middle Tennessee is going to get much of their offense from to keep up with a team like Texas San Antonio. And then they go to UAB the next week. Frank Peasant's one of those guys where it's hard to stay off of right now, but much like with Jalen Daniels, I'd still like to see a little bit more, maybe one more game before I really feel confident that this is just we're going to see consistency as opposed to it just being a nice three-game run. But given the matchups and given what Middle Tennessee did against Miami, it's hard to see Peasant not getting at least 15 carries in this game. And, you know, let's be honest, UTSA's offense can move the ball, but their defense, you know, can, you know, you can move the ball in their defense. And so I do think he's a start, but he's one of those guys that I really, really was hesitant on ranking too high going into this week. One guy, one guy that I wasn't is UAB running back Dwayne McBride. He missed the first game, but he's come back in two games, 48 carries, 400 yards and five touchdowns, which is why he's up there in the rankings. You're rolling with Dwayne McBride. Luke McCaffrey for Rice, been a little bit of under-the-radar play, I think. Uh, he's averaging 10 targets a game in that Rice offense. I just say that because, you know, that, that one kind of took me a little bit by surprise when I saw those numbers. And then... Sticking with Conference USA, one team I want to focus on is Florida International because they have just been terrible, right? They've got that – I think they had that overtime win against Bryant, 38-37, which might have been the only game Bryant has won. And then they lose 41-12 to convincingly to Texas State. They get blown out 73-0 to Western Kentucky. And I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't want any part of Tyrese Chambers. I just wouldn't want any part of this offense, and he's the one guy that you really want, right? So I, went, I, I did a little digging on him a little bit. Maybe this will help some of you guys that have Tyrese Chambers moving forward. Um, 31 targets through three games. Okay, so he's averaging about 10 targets per game, which is great. That's what you want. And then I say, okay, what about the schedule? Because if they just play, I mean, look at 73 nothing to West Kentucky, 41-12 to Texas State. But I look at the schedule they play at New Mexico State this week. They play Connecticut the following week. They play UTSA where, okay, that's like a Western Kentucky. You could see another whooping in that one. But then they go to Charlotte. I touched on and Mike touched on in the preseason about how bad Charlotte's defense was in the beginning of the year. Then they get Louisiana Tech at North Texas, Florida Atlantic, which has given up a ton of 
you know, yards this year. Then they go to UTEP before finishing up with Middle Tennessee. And I just look at the schedule and I say, if you're okay with some, you know, some up and down performances from Tyreek Chambers the rest of the year, then I think you stick because there are some matchups in there, at least on paper, New Mexico State, UConn, Charlotte, maybe Florida Atlantic, possibly UTEP, you know, Louisiana Tech, where I just, it's Conference USA. This to me is this, you know, Sunbelt, Conference USA to me is the second worst conference probably uh, just ahead of, of MAC. And so the competition is not that great. And when you look at the out-of-conference games they've had, Bryant, Texas State, New Mexico State, and UConn, I mean, it's too bad FIU wasn't even just a tad bit better because that schedule was set up for them to have a huge, huge season. But I just throw that out there for you guys that have Tyrese Chambers that are on the fence on whether or not he's a, he's a season-long hold. We're going to finish up with the Sun Belt before we close out the show. And I just want to mention that James Madison receiver, you know, Chris Thornton, who had two huge games in the beginning of the year, he was really the focus of that App State defense. He was only targeted three times against Appalachian State. So I wouldn't worry about him moving forward. I would expect another big game this week. So I think, you know, all guns are blazing with Chris Thornton, Todd Centeno at quarterback. Marshall running back Kalen LeBourne. We are We have yet to see. Rasheen Ali back in the game and sooner or later you guys that have Kalen LeBourne may get burned when when Ali plays and we least expect it but until we see Ali on the field playing significantly then Kalen LeBourne's a must start every week and then we're going to last lastly we're just going to end it with Coastal Carolina because first of all let me just say this you know, we were really high, and for you guys that had the preseason fantasy draft guy, really high on on Braden, uh, Coastal Carolina running back Braden Bennett in the preseason. I don't know how we play, and Mike and I talked about this off air. I don't know how we play five weeks into the season and go through a little bit of the preseason, and we don't have any news, nor anything has ever leaked out from what I've seen and from what we've seen about Coastal Carolina running back Braden Bennett. We're now five games where we're not going to see him. Now I'm wondering if it's just going to be a season-long injury, and we don't know. Because I, it's hard for me to think a player's going to come back and possibly play four to five games only and maybe not take a red shirt and get an extra year of eligibility. So now I'm, I'm debating, and now I'm contemplating on, on trying to decide whether or not, for some of you guys, are you even holding on to Braden Bennett? For you guys that have IR, I, I get it. But right now, we got no Bennett this week. We've got uh, no Reese White. And so C.J. Beasley, after a big week last week, if he's going to get the exclusive snaps in that backfield, he's a must-start this week and a nice one-two punch with Grayson McCall, who has started off with a really big year so far, even though he's had you know, some attrition at receiver. Uh, one of you know starting off maybe one of his best statistical years that he's been at Coastal Carolina, and we know that he's healthy. So, really good signs if you're holding on to Co- if you have Coastal Carolina quarterback Grayson McCall, or or if you were able to pick up running back C.J. Beasley. So, that's going to do it for Week Five. I'm looking at the timer. I think I got this one in in just under an hour this week. We've gone over an hour the last couple of weeks, um, but the longer the season gets, you know. The, the 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 further we get in the season the fewer questions we usually get those are the big ones that i see going into week 5 there are a lot of players and games we've could have talked about in matchups but i'm not trying to figure out who's going to win and lose the games for you guys i'm trying to put some of the bigger names roster decisions question marks under the microscope give you my perspective on it and hopefully that helps you out moving forward. You know, I say this every year on, on it seems to make its way on every show uh, at some point during the season. I've probably said it twi- two or three times already. Uh, I, you know, even with you guys sometimes emailing or DM, DMing me uh, in the discord, I look, we don't, I don't, we don't get every call, right. I get, I get 
almost just as many wrong as I get right. Sometimes, you know, good week, bad weeks, but you know, the one thing that really gets me is when, you know, I, I, I get a call wrong or, you know, I get an email and, and I, you know, I give bad advice on the wrong 50-50 player pick. Those weigh on me 10 times more than making the right call. I never email a guy back saying, hey, how about that pick? We nailed it. I emailed a guy, I just remember a week ago or or last week, two weeks ago, because I gave him the I, the, the guy that I didn't pick went off for like three touchdowns. I was like, man, look, I, I felt, felt like crap on that one. So, you know, all we try to do over at the CFF site between the projections, between the player rankings, between the DFS write-ups, with everything that we do is we just try to give you guys a little bit more perspective to, to be able to make those roster, just those questionable roster decisions going into the weekend. And sometimes we got to let the chips fall where they may. And like I said, sometimes they hit, sometimes we don't. Sometimes the projections miss, sometimes they get them right. Hell, Vegas is off sometimes, big time. So nobody's perfect in this game. Health plays a big part of college fantasy football. And unfortunately, we don't get an injury report every week. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, the auto sub feature is working for some of you guys. I've heard there's some glitches out there, but we'll see how Fantrax deals with those moving forward. I've been in contact with them throughout the season, trying to see if we can kind of fix the bugs or or the workarounds of, of just trying to... um you know, improve the integrity of the auto subsystem. So with all that being said, guys, look, week five is here. Pivotal week. We're going to learn about some players that have started off really fast and see if they're going to hold true. And we're going to see some guys that we had that haven't done much. Maybe, maybe you guys have dropped some players and they're going to come back up and maybe a different team's going to pick them up off the waiver wire. But We'll have all the waiver. Mike's got the waiver wire. Does a great job with the waiver wire stuff uh, every Monday. Notes and observations will be up there on the site as well. Week five, pivotal matchup for a lot of you guys. It's moving time now. Conference games are starting. That's it. For the CFF site, my name is Joe DeSalvo, and that does it for the week five show. You'll see me, hear from me in week six. Till then, good luck, guys.